Welcome to the Jane Bond Show, from execution to excellence. And I am your host, Jane Bond, the serial entrepreneur who will be sharing with you valuable life lessons and interviewing influencers from around the country who are breaking through to success, along with giving you advice on navigating through the game. Today, our topic is The World Needs Charity. Our special guest is a young man who is an acclaimed feminist, accomplished lyricist, musician, and intellect. At the young age of 14, he decided to take his music seriously and go full steam ahead and has never looked back. With the release of his first ever video gaining over 1 million views, the train has not stopped moving. On his new album, Satori 55, he raps about the future being female by dismantling and ending patriarchy. He delivers a message to the world of love, peace, and intellectualism. As you listen to him, you become captivated by his words and delivery. This artist is one that we as people need today. Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Charity Croft. Hello. Hey, Charity. What's up, Jane? Oh, I'm doing well. It's been a little bit trying today, but I'm good. I'm glad to have you on the line here today, and thanks for joining our show. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Oh, great. You know, because um, I definitely feel like you epitomize from execution to excellence. I've been following you, and I'm like, this guy is on fire. So I appreciate know, it so much. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to dive right in with you here. You know, tell me a little bit about growing up in Gary, Indiana. I was a little surprised when you told me Gary, Indiana. You know, that's Jackson. Really? I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised. I don't know. You know, I, I would have thought you were, a bit, I don't know, from Detroit, Chicago, you know, L.A. But um, when you said Gary, I was like, oh, okay, Jacksonville. That's a good uh, comes out of there. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, there are way more cool people than Michael Jackson. <laughs> I a lot of people don't like Michael Jackson. I mean, we like him just because it's just like, oh, he's our claim to fame as a city. But yeah. like one time to school and like he visited this school named Roosevelt, which was the school that is directly next to his house. And he came and visited and he was like throwing KFC chicken out the window no. because oh, he like dead for real, like because apparently Negroes like chicken. I don't oh know if I can God. cuss on but <laughs> okay. I cuss a lot. <laughs> yeah, but apparently Negroes like chicken to Michael Jackson, so he threw chicken out the window. And well, so ever since our DNA uh, now, I can fry up some no, chicken. I, mean, I'm gonna, I do like chicken, but still, you should throw it out the window no, at me because now I'm like a monkey. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's my only memory of Michael Jackson is him throwing chicken out the window because my daddy was uh was a janitor at um. At Roosevelt High School, which is the high school that he he uh, visited, and because it's Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson came with let's say a security detail of five people or so, right? Right. But Roosevelt full of thousands of kids, ghetto kids in the hood, and so they literally had every person that was on the whole custodial staff stand around Michael Jackson. So it's like sixty people guarding Michael Jackson, including my father, and he's just giving everybody chicken. But you, it seems cool, but partially is like it just feels real. It feels the way that you throw a chicken at me, like throw. Yeah, that's it. real wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. So yeah, I'm from Gary. Gary is super cool. I went oh. to a performing arts school uh, called Emerson. 
Okay. And I, uh, I credit a lot of my success and or my personality type towards the fact that I went to that school. Emerson was a performing arts school and uh, I was a piano major there. And so again, being from a, um, a marginalized city where oppression is a real thing, uh, the, the, the number one defining factor, not the number one, but one of the number one defining factors of oppression is just lack of access to the things that, uh, that, you know, make you, more imaginative, right? Like people that are in oppressed situations feel like they can't get out because they haven't seen anything beyond they block or the drug dealer or the the basketball player on their TV or whatever. You know what I'm saying? They they are very limited in their access to things and experiences. And so the cool thing about my high school uh, was that it gave us that access, right? I'm getting taught classical piano when I'm in seventh grade, which That's gives you a, a huge different, you know, way of looking at things from your neighborhood and what you're surrounded. You, you, you think bigger, right? Like they took us on field trips to like symphony orchestras and shit. And so that, um, that definitely helped me a lot. So, yeah, I mean, and the hood is a beautiful thing. I'm not one of these people that's like, in fact, I kind of, uh, despise, uh, the fact that a lot of black people like to differentiate themselves from the hood, almost this elitist type of a thing, you know what I'm saying? Because I think that that's why a lot of drama and a lot of negative things happen to black people or, you know, from white people. Like I, I believe a lot of the oppression is due to the fact that they feel like, Oh, it's good Negroes and bad Negroes. And so we separate ourselves almost into these, hierarchical positions where we act like we're not from the hood and we act like we don't care about that. So I'm a real big fan of embracing that part of us and show that Charity Croft is no different than Trayvon Martin or Eric Garner or any of these people. You dig what I'm saying? And thus, oh, it's, it's more... That. Definitely. I'm from the hood, so <laughs> listen, and everybody knows I'm from the hood, but we climb and we always, yeah. you know, we get that access, like you said, and we dream. And we, I always tell people, listen, just because you're from the hood, that doesn't mean you have to dream in the hood and stay Absolutely. in the hood. But you yeah. always remember that you are and you came from the hood. And that's what makes so. you even more so. Absolutely. So I, I definitely appreciate that. I guess that's why I gravitated towards, you know, what I was hearing you say in your music and your words. I mean, I found you to be... Uh, you know, a word wizard, you know, I, I, when I heard you the first time, I was like, listen at this man. I said, who is this? And, you know, you're, and as you say, access, we have access now and everyone has access because when I was coming up, we didn't have access. And with social media, that just has totally blown that theory out of the water of not having access. So, Absolutely. you know, being from the hood right now, if you're from the hood and you have access your dreams should be bigger than anybody's dreams. Absolutely, for sure. So I agree with you 100% on that, definitely. And it's amazing that you went to a school that allowed you to think big and, and mm -hmm. find your way. Um, you know, And even before then, I went to like, a, uh, my elementary school was also, it wasn't a performing arts school, but it was a gifted and talented school. So ironically, I never went to the school that's like in my neighborhood because my parents always kind of wanted better for me. So I was like in like a, I guess you would call it a accelerated uh, elementary school. Okay. So it's like let's say if algebra is taught on average in eighth grade, we're learning it in like fifth grade or something, you know? And so 
uh, that was a really big thing too. And that gave me a certain level of confidence. I believe that belief is the most powerful thing in the universe. And the reason why people don't uh, have that execution to excellence 90% of the time, I think is because of their lack of belief in themselves. And a lot of times that's cultivated by the community and the society, society in which you live. If you don't, if you're hopeless, if your mama was a crackhead, you never met your daddy. All you know is these people in the streets next to you. You never seen anything. You never had a reason to believe in anything. Right. And so we live in kind of a society that kind of, I think cultivates disbelief, cultivates fear. And um, yeah. So from a very young age, my, my elementary school, like the, the principal, used to walk around and say, you are the greatest. You are the most powerful, most intelligent. And although she was annoying oh, as shit to as little kids because she just yelled loud and yelling through the right. hallways. But in hindsight, it's just like, damn, that really made me think different. We will, we really felt like we were like the smart kids, you know, when we were went, when we went to Banneker. So and that so, um, with you. It did, or at least eventually it did. Probably not at the time you get to adulthood and you kind of see different people's trajectory and how things have panned out, you realize that a lot of the stuff that maybe your parents put you in as kids and shit was actually what you needed. And so, yeah. So was music always a passion for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was in a rap group in like fourth grade. I was actually uh, just showing somebody like my old, old uh, rap versus from like my old book from when I was like 13 okay. and like I still have it. And so, yeah, I used to, uh, music was always a thing for me. Uh, piano, like playing music didn't become a thing until I was like 12, but I rapped when I was like nine, but even 12, again, that's childhood. That's still formative years. And so, yeah, I, I played the piano ever since I was like 11 and I've rapped and wrote ever since I was like eight. And, and so, yeah, that's always what I like to do. Where did you get that inspiration from? Uh, I don't know. Probably Jay-Z, to, to be okay. honest. At the time, it was just like Jay-Z ruled my life. And Pharrell. Jay-Z and Pharrell, without those two people, we would not be having this conversation. Okay. Now, as I grew up, I realized that Jay-Z was not necessarily the footsteps in which I wanted to follow. Pharrell, I still resonate with him. And I don't necessarily have any disrespect for Jay-Z. He just... Um, I got my own little political and ideological differences with him that I developed as I became older. But that catalyst for me just loving music was like, yeah, Jay-Z, Pharrell, Outkast. That's where I was at with it. Okay. Well, these are great role models also. I mean, mm -hmm. whether the political you know, view changed in mid you know, age and, and formative years for you, uh, that's okay because you know we're out here to choose and and to decide what works for us and that's where yeah. you said belief comes in you believe in yourself and you believe in yeah. what your views are and there you know you stand behind them so i i definitely can um appreciate that so you know you talked about um you oh i want to digress here charity charity is a very interesting name is there mm. a story behind it I mean, there it's the is. first time I've ever heard a man called Charity, and I think it's hot, and it goes along with your whole, you know, being. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was within your rap too. So my name is David. That's my my birth name is David. 
Okay. So, yeah, uh, originally my rap name or stage name, if you will, was uh, DGC Swaggy, which DGC is just my initials, David Gershon Croft, and then Swaggy was like a swag because that was the cool thing to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that was a whole different human. That person was much more uh, materialistic and I would even say to a certain degree brainwashed, not any more brainwashed than anybody else is, but you know, I was just like, oh yeah, it's all about money and girls and sex and excess and luxury. And so, yeah, I was swaggy. And then when I went to college, you know, when everybody has their big wake up, like what, why do I want a Lamborghini? Why do I want to have sex with eight women at the same time or whatever type of thoughts <laughs> right. as an 18 year old young man? And it's just like, then you start kind of questioning. And then that, that kind of Socratic question that comes into play. And you just like, why do I care about any of this shit? And so then I kind of, that's when I started kind of reframing my whole mind. And uh, at the time I was, uh, you know, I liked the Bible, and I'd say that I don't like the Bible now, but I was much more into Christianity as a faith at the time. Okay. And uh, this scripture, Corinthians 13, uh, it was like, you know, charity is kind, charity is not boastful, charity does not vaunt it up itself. And it, and it defined this particular difference between charity and love. And the new translation of the Bible, instead of saying charity at that part, it just says love. But in the King James Version, it, it, in some parts of the Bible, it says love. And in some parts in the Bible, it says charity. And the differentiation between the two is love is like this much more human-to-human, romanticized, conditional thing, right? I love you because you make me happy and we kiss and have sex or whatever we, whatever is the confines of what love is. But charity is that, is I love you because you are a part of God's creation. It is God-like love. And so, yeah, I was just like, mm, that's some shit I want to call myself. I'm okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it speaks for itself with you in your philanthropy, in your music. Um, when I thought about it, I thought, what a name. I mean, did he give it to himself? Did his parents give it to him? Because it goes hand in hand. I mean, you, uh, yeah. Great. Smart. Mm. That's um, the way you picked it up and the way you're handling it. It works with everything that you're putting out there. Like I, I appreciate said, it. Yeah, your philanthropy within your music itself is charity and it's charity to the world. I mean, because it resonated with me. So right. awesome. Awesome. So I at first, oh, yeah. I mean, I. And I don't want to go into this long, drawn out, you know, explanation about it. But when I listen to your music, especially um, Dismantle, that's what caught my attention. You know, you're flipping through. Yeah, my, my, my Instagram is like my newspaper to me. I'm flipping through things and I'm looking and I'm getting access to what's happening right now, what's going on with folks and blah, blah, blah. And I hear yeah. this Dismantle and I go, wait a minute, what? It was like, eh. <laughs> you know, and I had to go back. And then I started seeing the words. And then I started listening to your voice. And I was like, wait a minute. Because I used to be in the music business. And that was part of my world, you know, you to listen and to hear things that other people didn't hear. So you can grasp and say, okay, this is one to watch. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. 
I started tuning in and listening and hearing what you had to say. And I was saying to myself, this guy is going to be amazing. Not only going to be, he is amazing now. And if I can do anything to help get the word out, I mean, he's just, and, and not to toot your horn like this, but I believe in what you're saying and I believe in what you're doing. And it's an amazing, you know, okay. there's you. nobody out there doing what you're doing, you know, right now on social media, you know, like you said, everybody's talking about getting money, getting this, you know, there's a huge movement on Instagram, um, you know, talking about financial literacy and investing and I'm a real estate agent broker, you know, so I get it. I get that, you know, teaching people how to, to create generational wealth, but this mm. is something different. We also need that, that this. Is interesting. It's interesting that you bring that up because like all of that is absolutely necessary, right? Like there absolutely. is a socioeconomic oppression is a real thing, but it's twofold. It's socioeconomic oppression. And my my uh, focus tends to be more in the socio part of that uh, prefix or whatever. Um, it's just, yeah, I think that human, no matter who is in charge, no matter who is the president, no matter who is the government official or how much money you have or you don't have, the problem with humans is our lack of empathy, our lack of understanding of one another, our lack of love. I was just actually talking about voting to uh, my music video director, Nate, yesterday. And he's a real big, like, get out there and vote and get out there and vote. And I have nothing against voting. However, I'm aware that um, us electing representatives to make whatever decisions they're making in Washington is not the way in which we have a better society because our issues are not government or political our issues are mental we we are humans want to feel above humans so so that is why there is patriarchy that is why there is hypercapitalism. that is why there is white supremacy they they all come from this uh root evil which is the human ego the desire to be bigger and better and above others and until we kind of destroy that part it don't matter who got the money who got the power because if you gave all black people most of the money right now, all that's going to happen is it's going to now be a black supremacist earth. You know what I'm saying? Because whenever uh, one of my favorite quotes is um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And uh, basically what that means is that when you, when anybody's in a power position, so interesting, you talked about my song dismantle, which is obviously a song about dismantling patriarchy, right. undoing, uh, undoing the desire to be above women. But here's the thing. It was very hard for me to become a feminist because, again, when you're in a position of privilege, when you just are a man and you're told from a, a little child, even by the Bible, that women were designed to be your helpmates, you're raised by your, all the males in your family as a little kid. Oh, yeah, go talk to that girl right there, man. Get you a little girl. Oh, you're getting all the girls. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're taught from such a young age the world is given to you as a man in a way that it just isn't for women. And to give that up is like, who wants, who would want to do that? Who would want to give up power when you have it? Right. So that's why. So it's not like white people just want to be racist. It's just like when you're in that position of privilege, uh, equality feels like oppression for a man to make himself equal to a woman that would require him to step down. Who the fuck wants to do that? 
right? <laughs> right. For a white person to be equal to a black person, that would require them to step down. No one wants to do that. And so, yeah, we have to have empathy even for our oppressors and realize that oppression goes both ways. It goes on, it goes ways on us specifically for being the victims of it, but it goes, it goes upwards in the direction of since they are the victor and the whole, think about how hard it is to not be racist if you're white. Every single book, like I don't know what room you're looking, you're you're sitting in, but if you look around you, almost every single invention or innovation that is probably within a 360 degree circle of you was probably created by a white person. The country we, we are in was created by white people. Uh, the language we are speaking is a, is a European language, right? Like it, it, it almost makes sense for them to think, well, shit, everything around me was created by me. I must be better than black people, right? And right. so it takes a while to get them to understand, well, no, actually the technology for that thing was stolen from blah, blah, blah. And the knowledge of this y'all took from Egypt or whatever, whatever. It's hard for people to actually get that story. So yeah, uh, financial literacy and group economics and all of that stuff is all beautiful. But unless we change the way in which we view the world, it's going to be the same shitty place, just with a different rule, a different ruler at the helm. Right. So yeah, I could see through that. Yeah, I definitely yeah. could see through that. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, when you put it that way, yeah. And and it has to start at home, too, within. And that's mm-hmm. a long stretch. You know, the first thing we have to believe in ourselves and we have to know that we can do it. Um, and just hearing people tell us, you know, oh, well, we have to take this dollar and do with this with this dollar. That's not going to work. Yeah opening up your heart also money matters though like don't get it twisted no like, i don't get it twisted trust me i'm in the business of money <laughs> i'm in the business of money yeah money definitely matters money gives you a lot of access and i teach that so yeah that's definitely um something we definitely have to look at first like you said empathy with even building these blocks yeah you know, far as financial literacy is concerned and investing. And like I said, I'm in the business of money, so I definitely get that. So at the age of 14, you decided to take your passion and pursue it. What made you pivot then? Uh, hmm. I wouldn't even necessarily say it was like a pivot, because pivot implies that I was going another way prior. I always was doing it because that's when I made the for sure decision. Like I said, I've been rapping since I was nine. But at 14, I'm just like, hmm, people get rich doing this. I should do this for real because I can probably get rich. Again, at the time, it wasn't about changing the world. It was about getting rich because I was poor. Right. You know what I'm saying? Also, it was about doing what I love to do because I love making music. And so it was just like, yeah, I might as well try this for real. So I was in a group called Urban Blaze. And uh, we had our snap music was cool at the time. We had the song called We Airbrushed and a bunch of little cool 14 year old shit. But it was it was great. It was it was when I had made the decision that this is what I will do with my life. Ironically, my grades started to go super down. Not even ironically, my grades started to go down because I stopped caring about school because I'm like, I don't need a fucking diploma or degree or any of this because I'm going to be a rapper. So 
I'm rapping. <laughs> and and there you will have it. Literally, there you have it, though. Literally. Okay. It's funny. Um, the irony of us saying, and there you have it right there, one of my favorite books by Napoleon Hill is called Think and Grow Rich. I just did an interview with that, yes. Okay, dope. And so the first chapter is called Definiteness of Purpose. And so, of course, I didn't have any uh, knowledge of thinking or rich at 14. But unbeknownst to myself, I had definiteness of purpose. I had decided exactly what the fuck I wanted to do and that I was going to do it when I was 14. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of what has fueled me all the way to now because it's like I'm not I can't even number how many people were doing music and rapping and singing and producing when I was 14. And now literally out of all my friends from back when I was 14, it might be like four I have left that we're still out here doing it in a real way. And we all, and we stick together and still talk like, man, remember when everybody was rapping, everybody was making music and everybody quit? Like, yeah, we wasn't never going to quit. Yeah. You know, do you feel as though rap has changed? I mean, you know, people looked at rappers years ago. I mean, I came around when Curtis Blow was starting his thing, you know, so I don't want to date myself, but that's the first rap song I remember hearing. But Uh I think rap has evolved to the point that, you know, even with someone like you, with your intellect and the way you use your words and your lyrics are, you know, you're a pretty strong lyricist when it comes to putting together the story. Yes, ma'am. It's very interesting because not everybody can put together a story when you hear them rap. I mean, a lot of people, yeah, great. A lot of people do look at rappers, you know, in a negative light, but then there's some rappers out there that do, you know, put together a story and you stop to listen to that story. And you're one of them. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely one of them. You talk about women a lot in your music. And um, I just want to know, where does that come from? I mean, you're like you said, you're a strong feminist. I mean, strong. You talk yeah. about, I believe I saw something online where you talked about what if God was looked at as a black woman? I mean, you broke it all the way down. You dissected that. And I said to myself, I had to show my buddy. <laughs> I was like, you got to look at this. I mean, you totally dissected that. And I went, wow. I mean, he, you really make people think. Yeah, and so I, the the funny thing about it is, it's like, hmm, uh, one of the 48 laws of power is like uh, something like in war, your best friends are the person, the person who will support you the most is your enemy. And so basically the concept is if you take somebody who hated you and then flip them, they're going to ride for you the hardest now because of the fact that you changed them, right? And right. so, like, you, you've seen movies where it was, like, the it was, like, the, the, the protagonist and then the villain, and then one day the protagonist, like, got cool with the villain, and now the villain becomes the protagonist's right-hand man just because of the fact that, of how much respect they have for the protagonist shifting their outlook. And so to right. put that on me, I was a super not feminist in high school, right? I was like as hyper masculine and patriarchal as it gets, right? Like I used the word bitch like like butter just out of my mouth. Like I just said it so frequently. You know what I'm saying? Not because I hated women or anything like that. I was just a little kid, like, yeah, man, we finna go get these bitches, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just how we talk in the culture that I grew up in. And but I was still always me in the sense of I was always an open hearted, kind person at my core. But I was raised 
where again women are looked at like objects and like status symbols so yeah i need to have all the bitches because that's the equivalent of all the money right but there's an there's an a there's a certain uh money and women are like almost equated and that's back to objectification they represent your status how how successful you are as a man how much money you have, do you have how much women how many women can you have sex with right and so again that's kind of the negative parts that hip-hop kind of ingrained in me and so when i was like 21 or something or 22 probably uh two friends of mine one named l roberts and one named samaya zama uh both of them are extreme feminists and uh they used to just tell me every day that I was a piece of shit it was just like, man, you're so nice, Charity, and I love you. You're so funny, and you're so cool, but you're really a piece of shit. Okay, I'm like, what's well, <laughs> Okay. You know, and every single day, they lovingly, but still fervently, broke down, again, the things that I, as a man, don't even have to think about. One in five women are raped. One in three women will get beaten. A woman only gets 79% of what a man gets for the same work. You know what I'm saying? Every single day, a woman is walking down the street thinking, hope don't no guy grab me up you know what i'm saying type shit i'm never thinking about right and so that's the thing about being in a position of privilege the reason why it's privilege is because i have the privilege to not have being raped be a concern of mine ever unless i go to jail or some shit you right. know and so every single day these amazing women would just tell me and again with love we would hang out and we would go they were like music friends so we would go to the studio and we would be making a song or whatever, and then randomly, as we're talking, I'll say some super patriarchal fuckboy shit, and they'll be like, hey, yeah, about that. How did you know that? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, hmm, I didn't know that. That shit is crazy. And then you realize eventually that, damn, even when I'm not thinking about it, I am, my, the way in which I speak, the way in which I act in this world is unconsciously perpetuating a horrible existence for women. So even if I'm not raping, even if I'm not uh, murdering or dominating or oppressing, that's why they call it rape culture. It is I am helping to perpetuate a culture in which women are extraordinarily oppressed, specifically black women. And uh, because you being a black woman deal with being both black and women. So you're at the intersection of two different forms of oppression. You know, I learned about intersectional feminism and was introduced to Kimberly Crenshaw's work who eventually became a friend of mine on some straight serendipity shit. And, uh, but yeah, so that's how it happened, man. But yeah, I started off just a regular nigga doing regular fuckboy shit. And then eventually I was told I was a piece of shit enough to the point that I realized, hmm, I am a piece of shit. I mean, <laughs> that was I, your wake up call, huh? <laughs> for real. For real. Well, at least two women gave you the wake up call and kind of educated you to, to, you know, make that shift. And what a shift you have made. I mean, because you speak highly of women in your music. And um, like I said, that's what drew my attention to you because you don't find that. You know, you have your love songs, you know, your R&B and what have you. But this is something different. You have a twist with this. Yes, ma'am. So what were some of your challenges, you know, for you and Archduke? <laughs> <laughs> I did read where you know it's funny I did read where you said sometimes you know you lose it you punch a wall you hit yourself in the head you you know and I'm sure that was when you were with your two lady friends and they told you you know you were a piece of shit I'm sure you kind of popped yourself in the head a couple times then but 
you know, what, what challenges? Yeah, challenges. Um, Man, well, Archduke, it was a lot of challenges, but that was like more so of a growing pains type of stuff. I was in a group with a guy named Jacob. And uh, yeah, a lot of life just was happening. I had a manager that was not the best human being. I had like a whole management team uh, that were damn near kind of, I would even say emotionally abusive and maybe not even on purpose, but they just kind of were. And I know that it's because they care so deeply. I mean, it was just a lot of personal situations between me and me and like a lot of the people around me that have been uh, challenges, at least in that regard. Uh, my own personal challenge as a as a individual, I think, is more so procrastination, uh, general laziness, um, lack of discipline and order and routine and structure. And you'll hear a lot in my music, me talking about that. So like the whole album, Satori 55, Satori means sudden enlightenment and 55 is the angel number of change. And essentially I had to accept that sometimes your life will get totaled, no pun intended. And it would just become, suffering is a part of life. Suffering is the cycle. And so eventually I had to learn to embrace suffering and realizing that only through only by walking through the fire of suffering can you be reborn. And so, yeah, I think that we as a humanity should get a much more friendly relationship with uh, downtrodden circumstances and suffering and quote unquote downfalls and ails because that's what make you like you, 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 Jane wouldn't be who you are if it wasn't for some shit that was probably horrible in the moment. Oh, you know, totally. I've had my like, challenges, you know, and, and that's like, so I guess my whole thought on challenges is to embrace them, to welcome them, to realize that your resilience is built through those challenges. Your who you are, is a is a result of everything that you've went through, including the horrible shit. Not even not only including, but especially the horrible shit, because that's the thing that really shifts your brain and your mind. So, um, yes, I had a lot of challenges, a lot of health challenges. I've had a lot of things to go on, but I don't think any more different than anybody else. Uh, James Baldwin has a quote that I read recently. Actually, I have it saved on my phone. I don't know if I can open it and be talking to you at the same time, so I'm not even going to risk it and mess this up. No, let's Actually, I am. <laughs> I risked it. Look, I'm a, I'm a risk taker. <laughs> but, uh, let me see, because I just really want to read you this quote verbatim, because it's such a good quote. Um, scrolling, scrolling. But that's what makes us better people also going through that it says, fire. Yes, ma'am. It says, you think your pain and your heartbreak are unprecedented in the history of the world, but then you read. And it was just like, woo. Every time we're going through something, we just feel like, woe is me. This is only me. And then you realize that, nigga, everybody goes through horrible <laughs> shit every day. That's literally life. And yeah. so, yeah, I welcome suffering. Yeah, I welcome it. That's interesting because this is true because, you know, I, I, yeah, I get it. I've lost the best friend of mine of 30 years just recently. 
and you know people keep saying you're going to be all right you're going to be all right and I, I think yeah I'm going to be all right but it's not going to stop the suffering that I feel when I think yeah. about him not being next to me not making me laugh not you know doing the things we used to do you know we were partners in crime ride or die so yeah I get it and that suffering will be with me for pretty much forever and that's okay because you rise through that um you know mm. that's what it's all about you know I love how you just say that suffering will be with me. Um, yes, make it a companion. Yeah, and it will. Next to me and be cool. Be cool with him right there sitting next to you suffering. That's the and, present, you know, and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. That's cool. And, and yeah. I say that to myself. I say, you know, Jane, this is life. This is what we go through. It's the inevitable, you know, once they're taken away too soon. Yes, we're we're broken up, you know, we break down, you know, and then we go through it. That's the breakdown before the breakthrough sometimes, but it always makes me stronger, you know, you know, I've been here on this planet for quite some time and had some really bad, you know, challenges, but I always get through them because I understand what it means to execute things in my life to make it to the next level. And that's Mm -hmm. where this came from, from execution to excellence, because you watch people, grind, do their thing, understand what they have to do when it comes to laziness, when it comes to being organized, when it comes to getting up in the morning and getting out of that damn bed to do what you have to do to make it happen. And Mm -hmm. that's what's so powerful about people and interesting when you talk to them, you know, like yourself. So I I totally understand that. And, um, you know, where you say you had these challenges and you came through the fire, that's how you feel your fire. And it fuels Mm -hmm. us. So Absolutely. I take my hat off to you. That's that's strong. So you, um, you remind me of a quote from Earl Nightingale. Um, it, and in your music, it's like your the quote is your world is a living, a living expression of how you are using and have used your mind. <laughs> You're so funny. But yeah, <laughs> my whole life is a real Nightingale quote. I literally just brainwash myself with him all day. So yeah, to any people listening to this podcast, go listen to Earl Nightingale and get your life. Get your real life. <laughs> get your whole life. And you might as well but, listen to Esther Hicks too while you're at it. Oh, look at Joe. You know, oh, okay. I'm telling but, you, yeah. you resonated with me when I heard you. I heard you, brother. I heard yeah, you. Not, not, that's who that's who I listen to most of the time is you know Esther and Earl Nightingale and they mm-hmm. kind of keep me in check when I'm in like hard times. Uh, yeah, but like exactly the the mind is um, one of my passions, one of my goals in life. I feel like my life's work, if you will, is to uh, remind, and I very intentionally use the word remind because I think we knew as children, remind every single human being that they are infinite. That any limit that you feel like you have is just that. You feel like you have it, but you don't really have it. It's a self-imposed thing, whether that be the lack of belief that you develop because of society or the the examples that your parents may have set or didn't set because of their absence or whatever the fuck uh, is your thing. Realize that it's just a thing that exists in your head because the human mind does extraordinary things right now i don't know how i am talking to jane bomb on my piece of plastic in chicago and she hears me on her piece of plastic in new york you know what i'm saying like uh, that but a human mind created that 
So I think that's evidence of the immense power. Like we are talking through radio waves and then the people who are listening right now in the future, right? You're not even going to release this podcast until a couple of days from now. So right. our word that we're speaking across thousands of miles via some type of radio wave frequency is about to be saved on this piece of plastic and then uploaded to a bunch of different sources where people will be able to hear it forever. And a human invented that shit. That's right. Do whatever the fuck you want to do in life. It's yours. Yeah. You said it, that. It, the evidence is right there. You know what I'm saying? You just uh, have so to run you, with it. You just, you just have gotta to know do. that you can do it. Because why not? Because the because the 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 alternative is to die with regret. That's right. You know what I'm saying? That's the only alternative is to be on your deathbed and be like, damn, what if I would have? Because when you're on your deathbed, that's when shit get real. And you really start to think back and just like, how did I hold myself back? How did I not? Why didn't I start that YouTube channel? Why didn't I start <laughs> <Right>? my <laughs> T-line or whatever it is that you wanted to do in life? Why didn't you? And, and that's um, where the biggest desire comes in. I want to yeah, live. And- I tell people all the time I'm motivated by my deathbed. I am motivated okay. by, yeah, I'm motivated by how I'm going to feel when I'm sitting on that deathbed. I want to feel like, yeah, you did that shit, bro. Like, that's how I have to feel. Absolutely. I got to know that I did everything that I wanted to do and that I could do and that the earth is thereby better as a result of my existence. But even the selfish part of it, not just to save the earth, although I, although I do want to raise the vibration of the universe and all of that beautiful shit. I also, for the pure vain, vain egotistic idea of being able to know that I did all that I wanted to do, even if that's your motivation, like do it. Why not? Well, you and I are popping on the same brain because that is real. (laughs) Anything that excites you. Mm -hmm. Go for it. I get it. I do. I do. And I'm sure you do, too. You know, you tackle some of our country's biggest taboos, but not in an insulting way, but in a dissecting and educational way. You know, have you gotten any backlash from this? Yeah. One time (laughs) I got a comment on one of my on, on, on something one day and it said, uh, May the fleas of a thousand camels infest your crotch. Oh my God. So, <laughs> I've been told to die in some of the most creative ways. Wow. So I'm actually entertained by some of the ways in which people have told me to go die. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I hope that the fleas of a thousand camels do not infest my crotch because that would suck. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would suck bad. Yeah, but no yeah, so, intended there. Yeah, for real, for real. <laughs> so yeah, some people be mad, obviously. But again, the um, so if you've ever heard of Plato's Allegory of the Cave, another one of my favorite pieces of historical beauty. Right. And so essentially, um, the story. I'm just gonna give a Cliff Notes version. But the story is basically is a bunch of people chained up in a cave, and they're chained up in such a way that they can't move their head left to right. All they can do is look right in front of them. And right in front of them is a wall where they're seeing a bunch of shadows. And that's all they've ever seen in their life is these shadows. 
They start counting which how many shadows there are, predicting what shadow is going to come next. All of they've seen is shadows. That's all they know. And then one day, uh, by some magical angel or whatever the fuck, one of the people gets free. And then he walks outside and for the first time sees the world as it actually is. Doesn't see shadows, but sees actual hands and realizing that that thing with five fingers, that black thing on the wall was just the shadow of a hand. And he's actually seeing like, what are the things that are making the shadows? And like, he saw the real world. And so he is amazed and he's like, this shit is awesome. I gotta go tell my friends about it. So he rushes back into the cave and tells everybody else like, yo, all that shit we've been looking at forever, that's not like actually the thing, it's shadows. And this is the real thing. Everybody said, ha ha ha, you've hurt your eyes. You need to sit down and put your chains back on and look at the wall, you've hurt your eyes. He's like, no, for real, like it's different, it's blah, blah, blah. And it's like, listen, I've been sitting here watching these shadows my entire life. Don't you tell me what is and what is not real. I'm older than you. Don't you tell me about any of that. Sit your ass down and look at these shadows. And he was just like, no, no, but really, like, it's it's something different. And then they said, listen, if you say one more thing to me about whatever this little fairy tale you're talking about, I will kill you. Wow. He had to leave and uh, go out the cave. Wow. And so the thing, the, 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 the thing that Plato was trying to say is that when you tell, when you show people that the world that they've existed in their whole life is actually a Ours niggas get mad as fuck. <laughs> For real, because you're like, you're fucking with their whole existence. Where where is their sense of self now? What is what is how are they how can they exist? Right? They call it cognitive dissonance. How can I exist with this new information? You're shaking up my whole world. I don't want to hear that shit. Go die. I hate you. So that's and, where uh, that came from with you. And the interesting thing about the allegory of the cave is Plato says at the end, but wouldn't that person who escaped spend his entire life trying to go back in that cave and free everybody? Of course he would. And then that's the end of it. Wow. Yeah. And here I am going back into the cave every single day, hoping I can get somebody else out. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that at all. So were there any breakdowns for you um, before your breakthrough to success? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's just like, that's, that's what I'm saying back to except from being a companion. Like, I break down all the time. Still. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, was there any, if, if you're asking, did I ever say I'm quitting, I'm giving up? No, I never did that. Uh, I never just, I never have given up. So that's a personal thing that I would just hope that people would aspire to. Cause I know some people just give up. I've had horrible things happen, like horrible things. Like you talked about your best rap group. I was telling you about that. I was in high school. Right. Uh, one, of, one of the members of that rap group, his name was Michael Moore. Him, his mother and his sister all got murdered by his daddy. Oh. And I was on the phone when it happened. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like crazy shit has happened. You know, like I I I can't even I've had, you know, a lot of my best friends, like multiple of my best friends go through 
complete mental breakdowns and a couple of them never came back really you know what right. i'm saying and Something uh like that and you know what i'm saying so my point is it's just like yeah i've went through mis- mental breakdowns i remember i thought i was like losing my mind and going schizophrenic when i was like 22 or something or maybe 21 or 20 or uh, what i'm saying is i've had countless breakdowns you know but the um just keep going just keep swimming like dory says from finding emo it's just like all you can do is just push on that's right or just like that you know i got a song on my album called take up thy bed and walk and um i got that from a scripture in the bible where essentially this man had leprosy and he was like laying on the ground and he was asking christ to like save him like please christ heal me i'm so hurt Ah. Oh. You know, he's leprosy is like some super disease type shit. So he was really hurt and he wanted uh, Christ to heal him. And Christ was like, no. He said, take up thy bed and walk. Walk to Israel or whatever the nearest country was and uh, tell them that you have been healed. He's like, but I'm not healed. And he said, take up thy bed and walk and go to Israel and tell them that you've been healed. Eventually he did that. And uh, he ended up being healed by Christ on the way. And so the kind of the metaphor of that little parable is that sometimes you just got to get up and walk through the suffering, walk while you're suffering, you know, hopes and with the faith that you'll be healed along the journey. So that's that's the thing is that, yeah, I've had breakdowns, but I don't stop walking. All right. Yeah, that's what we just talked about. You keep moving. Keep your foot on the gas and keep moving. And don't look back. (laughs) Don't Mm. look back in that mirror. Right. So what was it like when you struck gold with social media? What did that do for you? Um, You know, delivering educational vignettes to us. You know, that apparently was, you know, a necessity. Because, like I said, that's how I discovered you. you Yeah, that's how. Through social media. Yeah, no, that was crazy. I was a... yeah, it was random. The first video I did, uh, I did in my old college, which was Wiley College. And, uh, you know, I play piano. So I was in like, uh, so I often go to the little piano room uh, in the music hall that was called Smith Nooks. And so I took, I didn't even have a camera at the time. I took my friend Nick Lloyd's camera and I went into the uh, little piano room and I recorded a video about uh, the scientific evidence of God. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, I took it in there, recorded that random video just of me, just some little write-up that I had kind of came up with just based on the fact that I just like learning and I just wanted to, you know, make an educational video or whatever. Like, I just did it because I was bored, honestly. And Uh I just did a video about, like, hmm, can you prove the existence of God scientifically? Did a cool little cute video on it. And at the time on the Archduke page, because that's where I released it on, we had 526 likes on it. 526 people, right? 526 followers. And I released that video, and within a week, it had got a million views. Unbelievable. And we now had 19,000 followers overnight. Unbelievable. And it's just been cracking ever since. And that means... People want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, random. 
random. Just the share button on Facebook. I owe all my success to the share button on Facebook and the very convenient algorithm that existed in 2015 that no longer exists. That that's a beautiful thing because that means it's a necessity and people need to hear it. People need to be uplifted. And I believe that's what you do for people. I saw yeah. where you um, had the picture on your Instagram page where you went into progression as being an older man. And then I read at the bottom of what you put there and you went through your whole life of what you would hope happens throughout that time. And I uh-huh. thought it was fantastic because so many people were, you know, you saw this everywhere. People were, you know, doing the progression as far as being older, but nothing was said about it. It was just a picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the sheep following the, you know, the sheep. But when I read yours, I went, oh, wow, okay. Well, he really <laughs> understood what he was doing when he posted his picture up there. He, sh- he talked about what he hoped to have left in his legacy. So that's fantastic. Yeah, manifestation. Yes, yes, That's yes. All. That is. Just but also to to take a little bit of the glory from myself. Uh also it was just like it was me intentionally like, okay, but how can mine be different though? Like, yeah, everybody's posting this picture. I do want to post this post an old picture of me because everybody's posting old pictures. So I was kind of following the sheep too, in the sense that I wanted to do an old picture because everybody else was doing it, but I was just like, okay. How is mine going to be set apart? You know, and so I just wrote that. <laughs> you know, but that was good. You expanded on it and you you said what you wanted to happen in that time frame. So that was pretty good. So what like, you, oh. let me ask you this: What do you think stopped people from achieving their heart desires and their goals in life? Lack of belief. The end. Okay. Yeah, it's just like every bit of success that anybody ever has is because they believe they can do it. You know what I'm saying? If you don't believe that you can be successful, you will not be successful. You know, you've heard the quote, uh, uh, what does it say? Uh, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Right. It's just literally that simple. Like, it's just like, do you really believe? And so of course the, the more, um, you know, so when people talk about the law of attraction, the immediate uh, rebuttal from like law of attraction pundits are like, well, no, you got to work your ass off and blah, blah, blah. Don't just tell people that they can think of being a millionaire and become a millionaire. You got to work your ass. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, yes, you do. Of course, you have to work your ass off. But this is the thing. If you really, really, truly believe that something is going to happen, of course, you're going to naturally do the things that would go towards that direction. Of course, if you really, really believe that you can be a a rapper, of course, you're going to record music. I would expect that. So, so sure, if you really want to be a millionaire, you got to consider that it's going to be something you're going to have to do to become a millionaire. So, duh, there is work. Duh, there is the discipline. Duh, there is the putting in the effort to make the thing happen. But before you can do anything, you have to truly believe. And not just believe, but, like, know it. Right. Like, know it. Like, uh, I, I, I heard this very interesting little, um, you know, I like little nuggets of wisdom type quotes and shit. And so somebody was like, you have to know that you will be successful the way you know that water is going to come out of your faucet. 
And I thought that was so interesting because when you go to your sink and you start running water, although there are hundreds and thousands and millions of occasions where people turned their sink on and water didn't come out of it, never are you going to the sink thinking, well, I sure hope water comes out. (laughs) You just expect (laughs) it to be there. You know what I'm saying? You just expect it to be there. But, But the truth of the matter is water could not come out. This is You've true. done it. You, you, you know what I'm saying? It could not, but never are you expecting that. You are always, you're already holding your cup under the sink or your pot or whatever you're about to do. You're holding it under the sink before you even turn the knob because you're that certain that water is going to come out. And with that same expectant attitude, you got to be as certain of your success as you are that water is going to come out of your faucet. That doesn't mean that there is a chance that it can't, that it's not a chance that it can't because of course, sometimes you turn on your sink and water doesn't come out, but 90% of the time it does, 99% of the time it does, and thus you expect it. In that same way, if you have that expecting attitude towards your success, you will be successful. You will naturally do the things necessary to get you to that place if you truly have that expecting belief. So to answer your question, why don't people become successful? It's because they don't truly believe. Yeah. This is true. Now, why is then it gets real meta? There's a billion reasons of why they don't believe and how that has been given to them. But uh, it comes down to belief, period. So, with the viewership of 150 million people, which is very powerful, and you yeah. have a lot of people ears and eyes on you right now, what's yeah. the mission? I read where you want to fill the shoes of Tupac, where he didn't finish. Yeah. And those are some big shoes, but I think you have big enough feet. Yeah, no, that's crazy. And it's so funny. Another 48 Laws of Power is never step into the, never step into a big man's shoes. Now, granted, I'm not necessarily trying to step in their shoes. I'm trying to be in my shoes, but I just want my shoes to look like Tupac shoes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So I'm not, so my point I'm not trying to be the new Tupac, the new Nipsey Hustle. Like, I'm not trying to be the 2.0 of nobody. You know what I'm saying? Right. But what they represented was people that could use hip hop as a transformative force for the world. You know? And so, yeah, I just want people to know that they're infinite. That's the goal. As many people as I can remind that you are limitless. You can do, know, be, and have anything. Anything. And I got to go out of my way every single day to remind people of that. And also, the other side of it is uh, to also... So I'm writing a book called Build and Destroy. So you heard it here first, people. There will be a book, and it's called Build and Destroy. And uh, as I said, belief is the most powerful thing in the universe. So essentially the, the gist of the book will be uh, you have to build belief and simultaneously destroy all the oppressive assist, all the oppressive systems that stymie it. So as much as I tell people that they are infinite, I can do that shit all day. But as long as people still growing up, on the south side of the Chicago with no access to resources, no access to money, no access to good education, no access to good schooling, all that shit I'm talking don't matter. You know what I'm saying? So still oppression and marginalization and and all of these horrible things need to be tackled simultaneously. 
So I'll say my mission is to remind as many people at, at, as possible that they are limitless and simultaneously uh, kind of help to collapse a lot of the structures that are in place that do limit people from the outside. So, yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. So yes. let me ask you, I have one more question to ask you. If there was one question people should ask themselves on a daily basis, what would you say that would be? What do you think people should be asking themselves on a daily basis? <sighs> one question that's so, I'm just a very verbose person. <laughs> I question. know you are. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to cheat and give a couple questions because I can't, I just can't. I don't even, my mind don't even work like that. <laughs> but I'm going to say one question is why not? That should be a big ass question that you should ask yourself. Why not blank? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Why why am I not blank? You know what I'm saying? Then once you realize that it ain't no real reason, then go for that shit. Uh and then um uh, hmm. it's a tough one. It's tough. Like and this is you know, this is just the closest I can get to it right now. I would have to like sit and write this down, but something like, uh, why does that matter? And what I mean by that is like worry and stress and anxiety are rampant. And we got to really realize that none of that shit that we be thinking about in our head that we are just consistently ruminating on, it doesn't really matter. Life is just so good and free and beautiful if you will allow it to be that so i would like people to really question and ask themselves why am i worried why am i stressed why am i fearful why am i not living a joyous happy peaceful life and then you'll realize that it's not even a real reason that you're stressed like yeah sure this thing happened with your brother and this thing happened with your job but when you realize how long life is and also simultaneously how short life is and how much more amazing things you could be thinking about than all of the bad worries that you're thinking about, I think you'll um, allow yourself to uh, become free. All right. So, yeah. so tell people where they can find you, Charity. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Old Chap Charity, O L D C H A P Charity, C H A R I T Y, or you can find me on YouTube or Facebook or any of those places on Ch under Charity Croft. I got a new album out called Satori Fifty Five. That shit is raw as fuck, and it's everywhere that music is at. So type in Charity Croft Satori Fifty Five, Apple Music, Title, Spotify, whatever you got, and yeah, boy, we'll be there. All right, and I know you're touring shortly touring soon this fall I, just, I gotta set that shit up that's a whole complex thing that I don't even feel like <laughs> right now. but you know what I'm saying that's gonna happen we gonna yeah, figure that touring it. thing could be heavy I get it that's yeah, so I'm definitely great gonna have to hit you up for some advice since you already know about that life I might have to yeah, talk to you yeah I can send you a whole I can send you everything you need on that trust me <laughs> I appreciate it. hit me up and we'll definitely talk about it 
I am so glad you came on our show. You definitely epitomize from execution to excellence. This has been an amazing conversation with you. And I have sat here and just took it all in. So I thank have you to so say much. thank you. I am so glad those two ladies hit you upside your head and made you shift. <laughs> Gave you some mind shifting information and made you yes. become a feminist because you are really taking it out there. You are putting it out there for us women. And I love it. I love it. And if I can do anything to help you, I will be there. I love you, Jane. I appreciate you. Oh, I love you too. And thank you so much for doing this show with me. And I will talk to you again soon. Everybody, check out Charity. You have to check this guy out. He's one to watch. And trust me, I will be watching him too. Thank you so much, Charity. Have a good day, Quinn. You too. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Charity Croft. He is one artist to definitely watch. His new release, Satori 55, is out now. It is a must listen to. Please do not forget to go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and write us a review so we can continue bringing great interviews to you. Once again, from execution to excellence, and we'll see you next time.